sing as one for this country we're walking on we stand together to protect this land for the future we're hand in hand welcome to another episode of the environmental as anything podcast we are going to talk with Charlie Prell, who is the Deputy Chair of Farmers for Climate Action, a fabulous organisation that is uh, constantly working on behalf of us all, not just farmers, but uh, working there, a group of uh, innovative farmers that uh, are uh, concerned about climate change and the way forward for a... Um, uh, a, a, a program, a regional program that is going to create whole new opportunities for jobs and industries, climate smart, rural and regional Australia. It'll uh, put the power back in the hands of the community and allow farmers to be really central to those climate solutions. Um, they've have put together a regional horizons program and this will address all these issues and uh, Charlie will be talking with us soon to explain just what that's all about. I've got a, a small bad news I'm afraid. Uh, the um, government, the New South Wales government has uh, recommended that Santos coal seam gas project in the Narrabri area um, is handed on to the International Planning Commission. Uh, so after more than a decade of struggle to keep the region gas field free, the fate of northwest New South Wales will soon be decided. So the New South Wales Planning Department has recommended that Santos Coal Seam Gas Project of 850 gas wells near Narrabri. This is uh, gas wells drilled into the recharge area of the Great Artesian Basin um, be approved. So the planning department has referred the proposal to the state's independent planning commission and they, uh, the IPC is holding a public hearing into the project. So all the details um, uh, are available on the Lock the Gate uh, website. Uh, if you want to make a submission, register to speak to the IPC or attend the public, healing, uh, public hearing online. So all that information will be posted, uh, posted here as soon as they become available. So together we can use this time to show the biggest display of united opposition that has been seen yet. Uh, to help our networks and our supporters prepare for this up upcoming International Planning Commission's um, hearing, uh, we are holding um, a webinar on Sunday the 28th of June at 2pm. You might like to uh, register to attend the webinar and get all the information you need that we need to stop the Santos project going ahead. 
um, anyone who was involved in the campaign to keep the Northern Rivers gas field free will be well aware of the dangers. But the whole tragedy of this absolute nonsense still being entertained by the New South Wales government is A, that we don't need the gas. As our friend Bruce Robertson has told us, uh, there is actually a glut of gas globally. Uh, there is plenty of gas from the uh, BHP um, um, project offshore. We already export vast amounts of LNG to the rest of the world and it's got to be stopped. It's affecting the water supplies. There's been the Harvard study uh, explaining why this has been a disaster in America. And just about anywhere you look, it's, um, it's clear that we can't go ahead with these gas industry things. Now, um, I won't talk, go on about it too much right now. There's a lot more to be said because we're going to be uh, going now to the weather and then we're going on to talk with Charlie Prell for, um, from Farmers for Climate Action. But uh, I encourage everyone to get onto that Lockergate website and check that out. We're very fortunate to have on the line Charlie Prell. Now, Charlie is a uh, sheep grazier in the um, northern, uh, the southern islands, and uh, he's also deputy chair for the Farmers for Climate Action. Uh, this is a, a wonderful team, and as I mentioned uh, earlier, they have produced a regional horizons program, uh, and Charlie is going to be telling us all about that. Good morning, Charlie. Thank you so much for joining us. That's my pleasure, Mick. Good morning. It's nice to speak to you again. It's lovely. It's really good. And I'm just over the moon. I am so excited by this Regional Horizons programme. I've been trawling through it on the, uh, on the website. Yep. And uh, what wonderful opportunities for the, uh, uh, for the, um, the regions, for, the, uh, for regional Australia. Well, that's exactly the point. Um, I haven't seen anything that's been focused on regional Australia from anybody else in relation to the the, the recovery phase from the, the COVID-19, the virus lockdown. This is, and it's, it's specifically targeted and focused on regional Australia, not just because of the, the impact the, the virus lockdown has had, but also, uh, you'll remember, we've, we've just been through the worst bushfire season oh. probably ever and, and before that. And Devastating. Been, well, it's actually bigger than that because the drought that everybody's assuming has broken has only broken spasmodically and it's um the long range forecast not not encouraging so there's the the drought on top of that so this is a really good time to um put economic stimulus into regional australia for all of those reasons not just because of the, the virus because mm, that's precisely what the the government has been saying they're looking for a, a stimulus package, and and this seems to address right across the board. It's it, the, the good thing. One of these, it's, it's a fairly ambitious agenda that we're laying out here. But mm. one of the best things about it is that the all, all of the things that we're raising, which we'll talk about, yeah, are actually in in they're sort of shovel ready projects. Some of them are actually in train. They just need a bit of um, incentive, a bit of pushing to, to get them going. And 
it's not like we have to start from the beginning here. Most of this stuff's been talked about for a long time and it's just sitting there waiting for some sort of uh, indication from the from the governments. Governments at all levels, local, state and federal, but particularly federal, obviously, um, to, to to get this plan going. It's, it, can be, it can be enacted really quickly. Mm. And, of course, Farmers for Climate Action are constantly um, in touch with... Uh members of the government and and uh, discussing all these things with them well not just members of the government um across across the party across the board mm. we're, we're non-partisan we're very political because we're actively seeking change particularly in addressing um, climate change so we're, we're we're farmers for climate action so we're looking for action on climate change yes indeed but we're, we're non-partisan so we're not specifically tied to any party or any individual unless they're willing to speak to us and, and indicate that they're serious about firstly getting past this inane debate we're having in this country about climate change but secondly getting on and doing something about solving the problem. Mm, yes indeed. It's, it is a very exciting program and, and I see that it combines a, a really targeted transitional and, and really transformational reforms um, mm. Uh, with uh, all these sort of strategic investments and new opportunities, um, so you, I see the the uh, the program is underpinned by four core areas of work. You've yep. got the National Climate Change and Agricultural Work Plan, mm. and the uh, a new Land and Environment Investment Fund, yep. uh, a Regional Resilience Hub Network. And a regional energy transition program. So this is just about covering all the areas that uh, we need to address. Well, um, it's 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 very very close to that. I wouldn't say it's covering everything, but as I said, these these four um, um, programs are, are well developed in their own right and have been. But there's been no plan to pull them together. If, if you like, we can go through each one and I'll explain briefly what they are. Yes, please. I'm, I'm really work. interested and I, I know yep. that a lot of our listeners will be... Are you there? Yes, we went very quiet for a moment <laughs> there, didn't we? I thought I'd lost you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still here. <laughs> oh, very good. So, um, so the National Climate Change and Agricultural yep. Work Plan. Yeah. You might, I don't know if you remember, but um, we championed very strongly through the AGMIN, which is, um, uh, it's like COAG of the agricultural ministers of each state and includes That's the federal right. agricultural minister. Yes. So at AGMIN in 2018, uh, led by the Victorian agriculture minister, minister of agriculture, the, the AGMIN agreed, so there's been a national agreement to this this strategy of forming a a plan to to deal not only with climate change, which is critically important, but also uh, um, some sort of cohesive plan for agriculture to to manage and then survive climate change. That's already been agreed to. I know the Victorian government's been working at it, um, but it's sort of 2018 is nearly two years ago. Well, mm. it was September, I think. So we're getting up towards two years ago that this plan was was pushed, not pushed, it was agreed to by the state, said AGMIN, and it needs to be expedited. It's sitting there, it's a working plan, the Victorian government's been working on it. It just needs pulling out of the drawer, dusting off and, and getting on with it. Mm. 
adopted across the across the board across yeah. Australia. Yeah, and, and this sort of builds regional resilience to uh, drought and fire and, uh, and and flood and other sort of mounting risks. Well, it's it's more than that actually. It's just a strategic plan for the future, and mm. probably one of the weak points of family-based farming is that. Uh, family farmers don't think strategically enough about long-term planning. Uh-huh. And we're guilty of that as a nation as well as individuals. Yeah, It's not too late. It's never too late to do that. And and this is the opportunity to, to have a plan that sets out some long-term um, goals, targets, agendas, and, and then that gives you the basis to enact um, legislation and initiatives to, to secure those, those outcomes. And, mm. So, you know, the old story is you, you, can, you don't know where you're going if you don't have a plan. And that's, and right. that's exactly what this is. It's, it's setting a target, which in our case for Farmers for Climate Action, is it's, ab- it's absolutely critical that we get to a, a net zero emissions, preferably by 2050, but um, way earlier than that if we can. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then work towards achieving that rather than just fighting about whether we're going to have 26 or 28 percent at um at the Paris Agreement or whether we're going to use the um, Kyoto carryover credits, which is, there's no such thing. But no, um, no. So instead of all of that stuff, we have a plan. It's, it's like a, a national plan and we just get on with it. Fabulous. One of the things about climate change, Mick, that, that I don't think, a lot of rural people are, are frightened of the potential impacts of, clim- of climate change and action to address climate change, but there is actually a massive opportunity here because... We're getting into the next stage of our plan. If we can set up a land and environment investment fund, and and the the, the ideal um, entity to manage this fund would be the Clean Energy Finance Corporation, which, which, which is there, and it's it, we'd have to adjust the uh, the government would have to adjust the parameters for the for the Clean Energy Finance Corporation to lend into this field. But you probably know your listeners would definitely know there's a there's a very rapidly emerging market for carbon, particularly yes. soil carbon. So not yeah. just trees, we're talking about soil as well as trees. And if we can if we can have a sort of a bank, um, an investment fund that manages that process that uh, oversees the, the creation and then the trading of, of carbon credits, then farmers are generating carbon credits not by having wind farms or solar panels or anything else, just by managing their farms in a carbon-friendly manner where they're, they're actually sequestering carbon into the soil and the trees on their properties mm. and getting paid to do that, which is a really important part of that, that initiative working in the future. It is, but, isn't it? Yeah, I think for too long, um, you know, the only reason we met our Kyoto targets... Mm. I haven't lost you again, have I? Went very quiet. Yep. I think we might have lost Charlie for a moment. I've managed to get uh, Charlie back on the line. So we're talking to Charlie Prell, the Deputy Chair for Farmers for Climate Action. Uh, thank goodness, Charlie. I'm glad we got you back. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that, that's a bit of a worry, isn't it? Um, we're losing you at the most all-important time. <laughs> uh, there's lots to talk about, Meg. I'm glad we're back in, in contact. Yes. Um, so yes. I was just explaining the... Um, the only reason we, we're going to achieve our Kyoto targets is because they, the Queensland government, the Labor government, banned land clearing. 
and that meant that we could actually meet our Kyoto targets. That's that's a very not really real, not very well known fact. Is that right? No, I yep. didn't know that either. And the farmers that are involved in, you know, their right to clear their land, it needs there needs to be farmers' rights, but there also needs to be responsibilities. But the farmers have the right to manage their land, in, you know, in, in their own, and uh, particularly, they have the right to manage their land responsibly themselves. And that right was taken away from them. And, and there's an endless debate in this country about native vegetation and land clearing. Yeah. And that's a very sensitive subject that needs to be thought through and discussed without the emotion in the room if we can. Yes, yeah, so after vast tracts. Uh, that's right. But at the end of the day, tried. land mm. managers need to be rewarded if any of their inherent rights are taken away from them. Indeed. Yeah. So important. Mm. And uh, I'd like to see, as part of this, the um, reward system applying to uh, encouraging farmers to uh, uh, retain native vegetation and, and forests uh, on their land. I think manage is a better word than, ma- than retain. Mm. Um, yeah. The, the, the Aboriginal, the Indigenous people of this country have been managing this landscape for you know, 60-odd thousand years or more with fire and whether we move back to managing it with fire or not, I don't know, but um, it definitely needs to be managed. So the the woody tree intense landscape that we often see, particularly on the tablelands uh, and the highlands where I am, is not the way that the Aboriginals saw this country. They managed this country where they they reduced the, um, the amount of understory through strategic burning. There's a lot of discussion about this after the fires and... Um, we need to tap into the Indigenous wisdom that's already there. They've reached out to us many, many times, including the, the statement from the heart, from the Uluru statement from the heart. But we need to reach out to the Aboriginals and ask them, the Indigenous people, and ask them to to engage meaningfully, which, which is a two-way street. We need to engage with them as well as them engaging with us. Indeed. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah, so we've got into we've got into the second part of the program. We talked about a land and environment investment fund. Yes, indeed. The third part of the program, none of these are in priority order, but the third um, part of this program, we're, we're suggesting that we need a, a network of regional hubs around Australia mm. um, to help farmers tap into any innovation or education or new technologies that are out there in an in a organised way rather than at the moment it's up to the farmers to, to search and and find stuff. But there's, there's no... Um, in New South Wales, for instance, there's a, there's a network of uh, rural financial counsellors and that network's quite um, important but it's, it's reactive rather than proactive. So the mm. rural financial counsellors only only access people, talk to people when they're in trouble from drought or or disaster, bushfires, etc. So that network exists and it can be expanded across New South Wales and, and, and the rest of Australia. So there's a, you know, the old paradigm of silos. We're breaking down the silos, so we're creating links between communities and people that, that people can share their knowledge. And I think we're, in a, we're living in a time of, of knowledge sharing and that's, that's a really important part of regional communities. Mm. Yeah. So we're, we're suggesting, that wouldn't cost a lot of money, but we're suggesting that that needs to be strengthened, it actually needs to be formalised. Excellent. 
Yeah, yeah that's that's a great way forward. I mean, this should, this would be an absolute invaluable um, uh, service for um, or resource for for uh, the regions, wouldn't it? And uh, yeah. landholders and and farmers. Yeah. Um, that's great. Yeah. The the other one, the fourth part of this program, is the old um, energy transition program. Not the old energy transition program. The energy system that we're living in, particularly in eastern Australia, is just about to fall over. It is so old. Mm. Mm. It needs. We need a program, a plan, to transition that fossil fuel-based energy generation system, electricity generation system, to renewables. Indeed. And, and, but th- that's important. But it's also really important that the communities where the new generation facilities. Uh, live so those communities are engaged as communities rather than individuals which has been a bit problematic with um, wind farms particularly but solar farms as well there's been a lot of jealousy and um, disconnection from communities because they're not involved yeah so we're suggesting that there needs to be a lot more initiatives towards community ownership and community equity sharing of those those new energy developments I think this is wonderful. Um, actually, I was uh, privileged to go to a meeting uh, before the last election where um, um, Mark Butler, the Minister for um, Energy and uh, Climate Change, was up here in the Northern Rivers yep. and uh, with um, uh, Anova Energy yep. and their plan was to uh, in, bring in... Um, a communities hub, yep. uh, and uh, I mean, this we were just so excited about this. This is there were so many uh, community groups yep. there at the meeting, and everybody was just um, you know sitting on their seats with excitement that yep. this could happen. So uh, this is this would be a lovely way forward. I think it'd be fair to summarise the energy transition that's happened so far has been very very spasmodic. Mm, yeah. And it's happened in spite of the government, not because of the government. Yes, yeah, really market-led, wasn't it? Yes, and, mm. and that means that the, the peaks and troughs and the ups and downs and the, um, the, the there's no plan. Again, we get back to the plan. So yeah. it's been a really rough ride. Um, yeah. This transition to renewables now is inevitable because of the economics. The economics have changed so much in favour of renewables. Mm. Mm. Um, but we need to make sure that not only those communities that have the new generation infrastructure, but also the communities, a lot of them in the regions as well, that are reliant on either coal mining and or coal generation, coal-fired generation. We have to make sure those communities are not left behind. Oh, absolutely. It's absolutely vital, yeah. Yeah, and and that's that's really easy to do. So Mm. farmers, I often say, farmers and and miners are often sitting next to each other in the pub in the local town and playing Mm. tennis and rugby league or whatever it is against each other. Yeah. They're all part of the same community and we need to make sure that those people whose jobs are, you know, to be frank, their jobs are are very, very insecure anyway into the future just because of the market forces. So we need to make, again, a plan to help help those people into a a new prosperous future. I've been involved with wind... um, Wind, the wind industry advocating for that for a long time. That's and right, you have, haven't you? Yeah. yeah. And, and I've met so many people in the wind industry who used to work in mining who are so happy to be out. At the, they're basically all engineers. They're electrical or mm. mechanical engineers. So mm. 
tweak the dials a bit and you've got you've got new skills. Um, and, and the people I talk to are, are so happy to be out in the fresh air on farms <laughs> rather than in a mine. Yeah, I can well or imagine. Doing a night shift and all that stuff. So. Yes, all those uh, all those fine particulates in the lungs aren't um, aren't very uh, aren't very pleasant to work in. That that's been demonstrated so clearly with this um, virus lockdown. Yes. One of the things that happened was all of a sudden because the aeroplanes weren't flying and nobody was driving their cars, all of a sudden there was no particulate pollution. It was extraordinary, wasn't it, mm. to, to observe it and absolute joy. I mean, places like uh, sort of India seeing the uh, Himalayas for the first time in their lives. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it's quite extraordinary. It, it makes it clear that we really need to get on with this transition, doesn't it? For all sorts of reasons, climate yeah. being our motivator, but also, you know, air quality. Air pollution's killed a lot more people than, than the virus has. I saw that, yes. Yeah. I've seen the reports on um, uh, in China, the major cities in China and India too. Um, uh, something, I've forgotten, millions and millions yeah. die every year from uh, uh, respiratory... Uh, respiratory illness. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we're really past time, but... Uh, Let's okay. hope it, the uh, opportunity will be will be grasped and not lost. Um, and that was another thing I loved on your website. I encourage listeners to have a little look. Uh, the two possible futures. Yeah. That made it very, very clear and <laughs> made you really want to get on with the job. I often talk about, there's a movie called Sliding Doors. Oh, yes. And I think everybody knows that movie. It's wonderful. Our age, yes. <laughs> the, ages, <but laughs> That's right. the, the thing about this is if we do grasp that future and get in through the sliding door, then, then that's wonderful. But if we miss the train and don't make it into that future, not only do we not um, have the benefit of that future, we actually don't even know that that future existed. No. And that's really sad. And it's really, yeah. this is a critical moment in time we're in right now. And we need to, as we move out of the, the lockdown from the virus, um, we need to leave behind those things that we don't want. And, and there's been so much that we've discovered that we don't want from our old lives. And we need to leave all that stuff behind and then go forward with the, the good stuff. And this is a bit of a plan for that sort of a future as well. It certainly is. It certainly is. And we need to fully grasp that opportunity. Yeah. So I, I really uh, thank you for, for pointing out the website. If, if people just look up Farmers for Climate Action and, and they are, this report, Regional Horizons, is on the front page of that website. Good. Um, hopefully yeah. it'll go somewhere. It, it, uh, there's no risk except it not doing it in, from our point of view. No, no, yeah. it's absolutely fabulous. And uh, um, pointing out, hopefully pointing out to your local members of parliament... Uh, mm. The, the uh, this regional resilience, um, uh, regional horizons, isn't regional it? Horizons, regional yep. horizons, because uh, it just spells it out for them. Surely, uh, the way I felt when I saw this report, um, surely they have got to be inspired. Yeah. So that you just raised another very important point that politicians don't really listen to advocacy groups like no. like us, no. but they do listen to their own local electors. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. So, that, so either send an email or a phone call or, or knock on the door or yeah. 
um, yeah, be getting in touch with the local politician, no matter which side of the house they're sitting on. Yeah, and and, and say to them, look, I've come across this extraordinary report. Mm. This is so inspiring. We are so excited, mm. um, you know, and uh, hopefully they'll take it up. Yeah, well, that, that's it. hope <laughs> as well, Meg. So, thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to, to speak to you and your listeners about it. Um, and I hope your coffee—I can't remember the name. Yes, Caddy's Coffee. Sponsor, yeah, wonderful. Uh, yeah, wonderful people. They're—they're they're fabulous team. They're—they're uh, they're also part of uh, Friends of the Koala too. Uh, uh-huh. uh, Ros Irwin, uh, you would have, you would know Ros Irwin. She's the um, uh, she's the president of uh, Friends of the Koala. Right? Oh, okay. So they're fabulous people and wonderful uh, sustainable business too. So uh, we definitely want to promote them. When I'm up that way, I'll, I'll make sure I go to the right coffee shop. Oh, please do, <laughs> yes. That, and we'll look forward very much to seeing you. Yeah. And uh, please thank the rest of the Farmers for Climate Action team. This is just the best thing that we've heard in a long time. Thanks, Meg. I appreciate your enthusiasm for our report. I appreciate uh-huh. the opportunity to talk to you. It's great. Thanks. Talk soon, Charlie. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Are you looking for the courage to face the hard facts about our environmental crises? Do you want honest reporting on the global solutions that are at our fingertips? Would you like to know what simple, effective local actions you can take to make a positive difference to the state of the world today? Tune in to Environmental as Anything on 92.9 River FM every Saturday from 2 to 5 for all the news, interviews and analysis you need to make the future you want. For the future, we're hand in hand.